0: Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of uh, Let's Hope the Weather Holds. Today I speak to Daniel Nogueira about his through hike of the Te Araroa Trail in New Zealand. That's 3,000 kilometers from the top of the North Island to the bottom of the South Island. If you prefer miles, it's about 1,800 miles. I speak to him about his zero-waste approach, how to hike light, tips for newbies, uh, dealing with post-hike blues, and how he gathered fun to plant native trees. If you dig the episode, hit me up on Instagram on Let's Hope the Weather Holds. Let me know what you think. Muito bem, nos vamos! Daniel Nogueira, welcome to Let's Hope the Weather Holds, man. Super cool to talk to you. Um, Last time I saw you was at a photography course, if I'm right, eh?
1: Yeah, correct. A long time ago. Yeah, that's at awesome. least it feels like. But it's actually what one year ago. Yeah, I think over year. Year. about yeah. one year. Are are you still shooting? Uh, my camera is on right next to me here, and I haven't opened the bag for maybe a couple of weeks, which is not great. But yeah,
0: <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Well, I mean, it's it's up and down, and exactly, and uh, yeah, yeah. So sometimes you shoot, sometimes you don't. So I'm talking to. To you because you hiked the Te Araroa track, which is 3000 K's. Um, exactly, that's awesome, man. But we'll get to the nitty gritty of that. I just want to hear how did you start getting into the outdoors? Did it start as a kid? Did it start when you moved to Mm. New Zealand? What, what, how, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, I think there are definitely two stages there. Uh, well, maybe three. One is when I was a kid, like young, my dad, he really loves nature. So we would go on trips, like uh, not really camping or hiking, but we would go to like places with nature and waterfalls and visit waterfalls and stuff like that. And yeah, I was in really enjoying being out in nature uh, or we uh, he would go fishing um, to these really cool places like a ranch with no internet, no um Oh, no internet, no electricity, nothing, absolutely nothing. So we'd go and spend a few days next to the river and I'll just be like walking around and playing. And so that's my first thing that I remember. Where like, was that? Going out. Oh, that was when I was a kid, like literally a kid, maybe between five and 10, 12. Um, so that was one thing. And then I, as I grew older, um, I got a bike. My, my dad, my parents gave me a bike and yeah i just started cycling with friends i remember like we would um <laughs> we would buy that was maybe when i was 15 uh and hey kids don't drink before you are well new zealand 21 but i would put uh by me and my friends we would buy like a pack of uh beer we would like carry each of us three four in a backpack and go on a bike on our bikes and go to like a waterfall and just yeah you know drink a few beers in the waterfall and just enjoy and um after that as i grew older i started um that's at university times i started mountain biking a little bit more serious especially like taking my uh, my dog uh, and same thing going to waterfalls and stuff like that so i always had this connection with the outdoors but things really only got serious when i moved to new zealand Okay. Um, so, like, I don't know any of the big hikes in Brazil. I haven't been to, like, any mo today. Oh, I've been to, like, a few overnight hikes, camping trips in a mountain range in my home near my hometown, but nothing too crazy uh, back in Brazil. Now, yeah, when I moved here, then, yeah, obviously, first thing we did, um, I did Tongariro Crossing. I remember, like, maybe, yeah, within a year that I was here, and then, yeah, just going out in hikes. Um, so, and then was it 2016, 2016, I remember very well because we were in a little um, um, home party kind of thing at my place and one of our flatmates um, invited a bunch of people and and I was just talking to this guy and telling him that I like hiking but I didn't know many people that used to hike here in New Zealand, blah, blah, blah and he just told me to join uh, the Auckland University Tramping Club and the Auckland uh, Universal Rock Climbing Club, because there, they do lots of hiking and they go to the snow and they do snow courses. And I'm like, well, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And that changed it completely. Like, yeah, I would say even my life here, because I joined the, the clubs and I started going trips with them. And then they had these snow schools, which um, they run, like, it's just mountaineering basic skills, how to use crampons, ice um, avalanche awareness, and all the basic skills you need to do some, like, non-technical alpine. And I registered for one of those. I got a spot uh, and we went to the mountains and it was amazing. A whole bunch of, like, exciting people and, like, um, yeah, we just had a good time and I love it and I kept doing it. Um,
0: that, that's Seems quite a big move, eh? From just kind of bit of hiking to pretty much alpining. Because if if on your Instagram account and some of the photos I've seen you've taken, it's not <laughs> easy conditions, man. It's it's up there. It's, yeah. high, it's snow. It's freaking crampons and ropes. Uh, that's a huge jump.
1: Um, yeah, I think uh, we, we, the cool thing about New Zealand is uh, what they call here the kiwi ingenu- ingenuity. You might uh, correct my accent, yeah, but right. um uh they just you know they just get out there and try and give it a go so i think that was really cool for me because for me as well i'm like so really like you go on this course and you learn crampons and ice eggs and that's it you're doing mountaineering Mm -hmm. and i never thought i'll be doing that sort of thing never like looking at those things as like no this is another level and there we are like climbing mountains and yeah um it is actually not uh that big jump as most people think, like um at least for the not technical part, like without ropes. So what we call what they call here in New Zealand tramping in snow or hiking in snow. Yeah. So you can go out with a crump on Ice axe and hike some amazing mountains um without ha- needing like have the need to actually use ropes. Um uh, yeah, so I just got into it and that was it.
0: Yeah, man, I think um, uh, coming from hiking in South Africa, um, you know, it, it's very like, winter will be cold, but you won't have rain. Summer yeah. will be hot and you know, like four o'clock, there will be a, a, a thunderstorm, very typical to Brazil. Yeah. I lived in Paraguay and you know, yeah. four o'clock, there's a storm, you know, it's going to come yeah. and then the snow here intimidates me i haven't done any big thing here but we hiked Tama lakes the other day yeah yeah, and it was really cold and the wind was pumping and there was snow but mm. when i was up there i was like okay oh yeah yeah i can do this so we have a couple of stuff yeah. again, and it's just a mind shift to get into that exactly different yeah. environment
1: yeah because even with like big storms and rain and uh, wind uh, they are actually not like uh no go, you know, you just got to be aware of, okay, what are the conditions am I going to face? Are those conditions dangerous? Um, Do I have the equipment to survive in those conditions? And if you plan and if you know what you're doing and, and you are experienced, like you can, like I have, yeah, we were talking before um, you start recording that um, about Miller hut. When I went to Miller hut, we climbed up to the hut and it was October with a lot of snow And we climbed up to the hut in a blizzard, like, Mm -hmm. full, like, heavy rain, cold, freezing cold, heavy wind. We couldn't see anything. Uh, But we knew that we, like, we had all the gear. We were warm. We knew the the hut was closed. Mm -hmm. We were in a group of five. We had all the equipment. And, yeah, we just got to the hut. Very cold and wet, but we got ourselves warm. And, yeah, next day, beautiful, stunning day. So I think it's all about being prepared and, you know, knowing where you go
0: um yeah that's the true voice. that that reward when you wake up and the sun's shining oh i remember we i did a hike i had to write about this hike for a magazine in south africa and i mm. took a buddy along and it was on the border of lesotho but this specific mountain pass people yeah. have marijuana trains there so they smuggle marijuana over the mountain on donkeys
1: wow.
0: and, um if if you see these guys you kind of need to go hide right and i just remember man i was shitting myself <laughs> and we put a little two man tent up and it was misty misty like you couldn't see anything and i remember sleeping that night and just dreaming the whole night people walking up and down this ridge like these people in gold it was super yeah. weird dream and the next morning when we opened that tent not a cloud in the sky man biggest reward yeah. in the world and eh?
1: when you when exactly, you so yeah. oh, beautiful
0: so okay first first philosophical question uh why are you drawn to to outside to, to wild
1: places oh what a question i think um when i'm when i'm in the outside when i'm in nature when i'm in the mountains i think that's what i feel the most connected to myself uh to who actually uh am like um you know I feel I don't need anything else I'm that's that. I just feel that completeness um there's a song that I read I, I heard recently the guy say something like I run away from all the things that completeness come from something like that and I think we live in a society where people are searching for this happiness completeness in a lot of those things and then they don't find and there's a lot of frustration but if people turn themselves to nature and to like doing simple things and connect with themselves in nature i think um yeah it just brings that sense of completeness that you're just there and you're like oh man i don't need anything else i'm super happy here and i guess you must experience that the same feeling when you are out as well
0: yeah man we i don't do huge stuff um i plan to do a couple of big things but i find it very hard to return to normal after mm-hmm. I, but we'll talk about that a bit later i don't want to i don't want to talk about <laughs> we the research, do we about get
1: the reverse um <laughs>
0: so so how did you start like when did you get this idea in your mind that you wanted to do the the 3000ks like how did that start and how did uh, you hold raising money to plant native trees like what's um, that like, how did that start
1: yeah so the first thing i think was in 2018 um So I did a cycling trip in 2017, a three week cycling trip in New Zealand. And then in 2018, I started realizing that I was 28 years old in 2018. And I would see, especially here in New Zealand, most of people like they have done like great adventures. They had spent a lot of time like doing. And I, the two trips that I did, um, during my holidays in christmas new year's holidays uh like three weeks trips hiking and cycling i didn 't feel it was enough like i didn 't feel it i felt i didn't want to come back home I wanted to be more in nature I want to have that extensive period on a trip so the first idea came from there Um, and then in 2018 I was debating between going for a cycling trip in Southeast Asia or maybe in Japan or you know I was very focused on the cycling trip but then a friend of mine he did Teraro and he kind of um, told me a lot of good things and I started looking to it and i'm like man that actually would be really cool to walk the whole country and i started looking at the route and the things that you go to and i'm like i really wanted to do this i really want to do this and i'm like wow well, you know why not do the ta and then um, and then like there was uh, there were other things as well like i looked at the a more practical aspect of it. It's obviously would be cheaper for me cause I'm already in New Zealand. Um, I had a residency visa. So if I wanted to do something longer than three months uh, outside New Zealand, that could delay the process of me getting a permanent residence. So there are a combination of factors that I decided to just, okay, I'll just do something here in New Zealand. And the TA was the most obvious thing for me.
0: And then and the connection with, with, with collecting money for, for native trees, I mean, the, what i know of you um you know you you try and lead a um sustainable lifestyle we we we're mm. not going to get into the de- definition of sustainable now because <laughs> that's no. that's another podcast but it's um, uh, doing the
1: best you can, right
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's so, my definition
0: why did you start why did you start or why did you get that idea of, of collecting money
1: for to, to plant trees mm. 3, trees right yeah uh, I really wanted to connect my walk with something that related to like, yeah, sustainable lifestyle. I remember back in that time, I was really driven by the idea that individuals can have an impact in the world. I, I And I'm still I'm still like with that idea because um, I see a lot of the new environmental movement and a lot of the blah, blah, blah that you see on the internet. It's like just people blaming governments, people blaming, Uh, big corporations but they don't like do simple things in their lives you know they just want to blame and my idea was like I want to encourage people to do the best they can on their daily life because like oil companies they just do what they do because they got like rich with people filling up their car so it's not like yeah there's a certain disconnection that I find between like people trying to yeah, see a, a better world and uh, change in the world, but not trying to do something better than themselves. So I wanted to encourage people, um, yeah, just to do something for that. And I thought, well, I actually started just by, I wanted to do my whole terraroa on carbon neutral. Okay. Uh, but then I did a lot of research and it would be actually, I mean, I actually did my, my TA, I haven't done my carbon, calculations yet um but after talking to some people they say look your carbon calculation will be very low we actually like there's not much um things in that that you can follow on that pathway so i changed my idea i'm like okay what else can i do and then i decided okay maybe if i raise money to plant native trees yeah and um, and then i found i founded this organization that which is called native um native forest trust not native forest native trees restoration trust um and um what they do is they either buy land of like farmers or just yeah people that are willing to sell their land for a good price or for a cheap price and especially land that ha- could have a importance, like a ecological importance. So it could be land that's been farmed, but it's close to like another forest and they wanted to expand that forest. Yeah. Or like, a, f- yeah, or it's a forest and if they don't buy, maybe someone else will buy and, and just cut down the trees. Yeah. So that's what they do. Um so, yeah. And once they buy the land, they need also funds to plant the trees because there is a lot of work involved in, especially native trees, eco-sourced from the place they come from. There's a lot of work involved in there. And uh, so, yeah, we just connected. We, yeah, we did, we connected. And then I said, okay, I'm going to raise funds for you guys. Um, and they were happy. They were very happy, yeah. Um, it actually... Um, I'm just waiting. I spoke with the guys last week. I w- we were going to organize a planting day um, up in the Waipoa forest where I, because we actually chose a reserve that the trees that are raised the funds are going to go directly to that specific reserve. So in the future, if I want to go and see, and people want to come and see, okay, this is, you know, these are the trees that I actually fund. So it's just not going to a random pool. For me, that was one of the things that I wanted to happen. Um, but because of the second lockdown in Auckland, uh, we couldn't organize on time. So I had to come down to South Island. But the guys I just spoke with them yesterday, the trees are out planted. Um, they actually recorded a video with a drone, but I guess the guys are just busy there. And uh, I asked them to send me the video. I'm just waiting. So we're soon going to have um, like a video and some photos to update people.
0: So how trees. many trees did you manage to plant
1: with the funding you've raised? Oh, it's a tricky one because my goal was to raise thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> which is a lot of money. And as soon as I started uh, the fundraising, I realized that it was going to be a very hard one because I'm not the best um, person in terms of asking people for money. Oh, yeah. um, I, I was just not like. Once I started the walk, I couldn't. I could comp- I wouldn't say completely disengaged, but the walk itself took so much of my like mind and my thoughts and my mm-hmm. actions that I kind of left that a little bit aside. Um, so it's not like every single time that I had internet I would ask people for money, mm-hmm. definitely not happen. And also the other thing that I realized is that people are not so like you see other people fundraising for other causes like mental health, or animal welfare or some other things. And you can see that um, people are much more driven, much more like touched and to make a donation, to help to other things, which is fine. I think it's just our nature um, of who we, how we are. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so $30,000, I raised about just under 2,000, which should be around 200 trees, but... That's awesome, man. (laughs) yeah it's pretty good (laughs) but um but i think the guys actually planted way more than that from what i've heard because it's just the way that this uh, organization works they have this calculation which is ten dollars for each tree because it it involves the whole process of not only planting the tree but make sure it's sustained for the whole life. So they come back, they do weeding, they take care of the place. So that's why people say, oh, but $10 for a tree is a lot. Well, yeah, because you're not only buying these and planting, that's it. They do the whole process and shield the trees, actually, on a plant I don't forest. think it's a lot, man. I don't think it's a yeah. lot. He's gonna live
0: for um, years. It's not a lot.
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, but I actually think they planted way more because they had more and yeah I'm just gonna wait for them to come back to me.
0: So so just run me through the hike because the TA is a set a set hike. I mean it's a it's a hike that people do. Where where does it start and where does it traditionally end? And what are the main main route that you, you followed?
1: Okay, so TLR always starts from Cape Ringa, uh, which is the well Famously for being the northernmost point uh, in New Zealand in North Ireland, which is actually not, but that's where people go to visit. Starts from there and finishes in Bluff, which is the southernmost point of New Zealand, which is also not true, but yeah, it yeah. is the tourist place where people go. Um, cool. Yeah, it's uh, you pretty much cross the whole country in, uh, from north to south.
0: Okay, so so a couple of other questions. I I I'm gonna just fire a bunch of stuff. Like, what job were you working? You're in marketing before the before the um the hike. And how All do right. you communicate to your bosses that I am going to hike three thousand kilometers? Because mm. that's a, <laughs> if i say that to my boss today. He'll <laughs> say, "Well, enjoy the hike," but you, you know, they they w- wouldn't believe me. How did you? How did you communicate that?
1: Yeah, you? it's it's a funny one. Um, Okay, first so okay, how did that communicate? Yeah, I was walking with Mark and Says and um yeah I came to my boss and said, Look, um, need, I want to walk, I wanna to go to a on a long walk and yeah, it's three thousand kilometers, it's always this journey. And he was like, Okay, um Look, how many how much time do you need off? And I'm like, no, actually I really want to resign. He's oh, so cool. like, really? You sure you don't want just you know go for a few months and come back? I'm like, no, I, I just want to go. <laughs> so when, it was actually there, quite
0: anyone that thought you were mad, like I mean, I think all more old school people would be like, yes, but it's your career my parents, and parents. Anyone
1: my my mom, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, she, um, we have a word in Portuguese which we say andarilho, which is a uh, kind of like just, um, not like a homeless but one of those va- vagabond, I think, vagabond, I guess. Yeah, I'd say so she said, So that's gonna be your life now? You're gonna be a vagabond and you're gonna walk to the world asking people for money. I'm like, No, <laughs> so yeah, it took a little. It took a little while. It was definitely harder than uh, resigning from my job was talking to my parents. Way harder.
0: Oh, that's the best, man. That's the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, you know, my father, when I freelance, he's like, every time he's like, yeah, you know, I just joined the army, stayed in the army for 26 years. And then I, my next job, I stayed till I retired. And I'm like, yes, dad, but you know, times have changed. But he still doesn't <laughs> yeah. understand it. Um. Yeah. Okay, and then and another thing, obviously this is low cost compared to living in Airbnbs for three months. How did you calculate costs? Um, I mean, was it in terms of food? Did you did you about people who are going to transport you between certain areas? How did that planning planning go?
1: Yeah. So well, the t has been hiked for a couple of years now, so there are a lot of uh, information online. Um, I just. I didn't even do a math for myself. I just went to the if you go to the main TRO website, they have the estimated costs, which is they say average um, $7,000 um, for the whole trail with a limit limit of 5000 they don't recommend people try to do less than that because it does compromise um what you do and I have seen that on the trail and it, it's not nice, you know, people not paying for campsites or people just yeah, so those kind of things. But um the difference between a vagabond and a hike. <laughs> trash hike or how they say hike trash or something like that, yeah.
0: Okay, so you uh, just you had the money saved or you saved up for it for your planned. For I was
1: yeah, so what happened when i told you before about 2018 so in 2018 i was already decided that i wanted to go on a big adventure and then i thought about doing it on the 2018-19 season but i didn't quite have like i would have money just to do the ta and like it would be really tight so i decided to wait another year and on that year i saved really hardcore like i wouldn't do anything i maybe like i went to one party and like pub definitely a no goal was just like cooking my own food saving money as much as i could and then just so i could do the trail and have a bit more of slack after the trail as well and yeah so it was i would say one and a half year of like full saving for that goal
0: um on one of your your posts i think on the the first day you said um, you, you packed up your stuff and then you realized you didn't have a lot of stuff. Do you feel mm-hmm. you had a a, a a very basic or frugal lifestyle before the hike in any case compared to other people?
1: I'd say so, yeah. Um, I never really liked like having a lot of stuff like if i show you my room now you see there is a bed and my sleeping bag and nothing else and just (laughs) my like i i don't like because it's just easier to move you know like i i maybe i don't know if people believe that or not on star sign stuff but i recently had um my um butt shot red and the way that they talk about areas and my personality. And I I feel like that is, I like to explore a new place. And once I get to comfort, it's not good for me anymore. I have to go somewhere else. And that's exactly how I felt in Auckland and on that job. Like the job was great. I was leaving five minutes. Sorry, we are going on a detour here. But I'll go
0: detour, detour.
1: I was living like five minutes to my walk, cycling to walk every day, living next to the beach. I had like a perfect life. Yeah. But I started feeling like that itching of like, this is too comfortable, this is too easy, you know, like just go something else. And I think, yeah, that's so that based on that, I start like, that's how. I that's also connected with the fact that I don't like to have a lot of stuff. So yeah, I was packing my stuff and I had what, my luggage and the only thing that I had that's really big was my mattress, which was a good mattress because of my back and that's all.
0: Um, you started in what month? I can't remember now. Uh,
1: 31st of October. October, okay. So you yeah. just get- kept... Halloween
0: night. <laughs> Halloween night. <laughs> really? <laughs> Uh, you, so it basically just came out of winter um which which is ideal because otherwise your gear would have looked completely different because you were in trail yes. running shoes the whole time right yeah didn't have boots real boots or anything no,
1: never yeah trail running all the time um i did yeah i started before winter but well once we go further on the podcast we will talk about coming back off to the trail after lockdown and what conditions there were. but yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah october and um it's cool because you start from the north of new zealand which is generally warmer yeah so when we started it was already pretty warm like i just had a base base layers shorts, um one shot my jacket I, I remember i started with a fleece but then i i thought i was going to need anymore so i just dropped in kaitai with like first 100 k's so yeah one shirt one shirt for yeah just a second layer and a jacket and that was plenty like that was more than enough
0: the jacket like a down jacket or just a rain jacket
1: uh no i had a synthetic jacket which is similar to down um yeah and the rain jacket as well okay
0: and um uh, one pair of shoes or two pairs of shoes?
1: Just one pair. Yeah, one pair of shoes. And did I didn't start with like any camping shoes, sandals or sandals yeah. or uh, flip flops, however people call it. Uh, then one point of the trail I got some because it was nice, but then they broke and I didn't get them anymore. And yes, just.
0: And and okay, so you're vegan, right? You're still vegan.
1: Yes, full-on vegan how plant-based. Did, yeah.
0: how, did, how did your, your menu uh, look like? What did, you, what did you pack first day if you open that bag? Um, and, and then maybe first say, how, how long did it take before you restocked? Because obviously uh, mm. stocking makes a difference to what's in your, your bag. So what was the period between, between not getting new food and then buying
1: again? Okay, so, well, first what I eat. Um, In the morning, it's mostly just porridge, so like quick oats, and I would always try, and oh, well, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet, but I also did try to do the hike on zero waste.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, we must Uh, talk about that. We must talk about it. Yeah,
1: so I also didn't buy like any cereal bars during the whole trail, any pack of noodles, anything that's single plastic. Well, there were a few things that I had to buy just because but I did the best I could, so, like no cereal bars, no noodles. So I just would buy stuff on like um zero waste shops or yeah, yeah. yeah shops that you can use your own containers and bags, even packing safe countdown most Maxim New Zealand, they had that section oh, that nut, nut, nut station, yeah, that cool. yeah and uh so yeah quick oats and then i'll mix something like seeds pumpkin seeds sunflower seeds chia seeds just to make a nice mix with lots of like nutrition stuff protein and yeah good carbs so yeah that was more breakfast obviously almost always coffee and peanut butter peanut butter probably was the food that i most ate during the <laughs> trail uh, well, I what's think your if, recommended brand oh well so that's a tricky question because uh the best brands are actually in glass containers and yes. a bit more expensive yes. so i probably only bought the good ones like Pix and nut brothers uh, what's that other one there's another one recently um fix and fog as well they're really good okay cool But they are all glass. So if it was like a two-day section that we would have another resupply and the pack would not be heavy, sometimes I would buy a fancy peanut butter, but most of the times I would go with the uh, cheap supermarket ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the good ones are
0: good, but the the cheap stuff has to do on a hike
1: sometime. Um, Yeah, of course, man. In
0: terms of of, uh, lunch?
1: Um, I wasn't a big like fan of I, I never I don't think I ever cooked cooked uh, maybe a few days, but I don't cook lunch. So normally I'll just have a wrap uh, with peanut butter or depending on the section of care, like some hummus and some salad, uh, some fresh stuff. Um, yeah, but mostly just a wrap with something. And, um, and so wraps were one of the things that I had to buy on single use plastic because yeah. that was the solution for my lunch. Um, yeah. Lots of snacks, lots of nuts, peanuts, and
0: yeah. so Were you basically chowing the whole time, living? Yeah, with nuts? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Sounds like
0: me, dude. I, I okay. I eat meat, but throughout the day, like to to you know, the 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 natural reaction is just to for most people just to buy a chocolate or something,
1: mm-hmm. and I
0: find yeah. like just like grazing on nuts the whole time like can get you out of that habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um
1: dinner um so i started mostly with couscous as a base and then i would add something like green um, garden peas green peas or uh, some dried nuts and season with different seasons and um, curry and blah blah blah. and then i also started buying back in save you can find uh also pasta which is the smallest pasta you can get which is great for hiking yeah. um, so I'll buy those and then carry some tomato paste. Um, and then yeah, add some flavors to it. Uh, what else, yeah. Uh, lentils, oh yeah, red lentils, a lot of red lentils. Cause they're good cause you can soak them in cold water and they're pretty much cooked if you soak them for a couple of hours. So sometimes I'll get to camp putting uh, red lentils on water, leave it there for maybe one or two hours and then it would save me a lot of gas. And yeah, easy, easy
0: what what gas stove do you use
1: Oof, i think it's Sonto the brand.
0: okay yeah yeah, yeah i know it's one of those it's small good. ones yeah pretty nice so yeah. so um you said you had a little you know not a lot of stuff like obviously your life didn't just fit into the backpack no you you. so did no. you uh, dump some stuff for friends did you take out storage when
1: no, I just left stuff in the house that I was living before with some friends. Um, yeah, just my luggage and with like clothes and yeah, but that's it. And then I actually just um, picked up um, before coming to South Island now everything. Well, my mattress is still up there, but yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's going to stay up there forever, bro. <laughs> no,
1: I'll find a way, I'll find a way. You'll find a way.
0: <laughs> um well at least that way you know, you know it's not single use you know maybe maybe someone will will grab it okay so you 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 um what what's the longest day you hiked without uh, longest section you hiked without resupply? oh yeah
1: that question um so i'd say average on ta the average that you stay without resupply between 3 and 4 days okay, okay. Uh, maybe 3 So it's not too bad. There are a couple of sections where I had food for five, six days. And then there were two sections, which are the Richmond Ranges and the Nelson Lakes. Richmond Ranges, I had food for eight days. And Nelson Lakes, I had food for 10 days. Okay. Now, that's kind of like what I had I actually did the Richmond ranges in five days, so oh. I I finished the, the section with a lot of food. Um, most people would do it between, yes, yeah, six, seven, sometimes eight days if you're really slow. The, the thing is, I was really, I wouldn't say only lucky with the weather because uh, it's not that I don't like rain, but I like to be in the mountains with good weather so I can enjoy good views. Yeah. So what what I would do, I would always look like the forecast, the 10-day forecast, and try to pick a window for my set my hikes where mm-hmm. I could just um yeah do the whole section. So I didn't have big storms on any of those big sections that I did. Um that's so, Yeah. So like my Nelson Lake section uh was 10 days. The first day we walked up to the hut was a little bit of drizzle. Second day, yeah, drizzle, but was an easy day. And then from there, from the f- day four until day 10, blue bird days, like blue skies. We crossed four passes. Um, yeah, many waterfalls, am- amazing, amazing weather every day. And yeah.
0: What's the, what's the highest point? I'm jumping around between questions here. I had a structure with the structure <laughs> out the window, man. Uh, what what's the highest point? Do you know what the highest point is that you reach? Um,
1: um yes, quite popular actually. Stag Sedo, it's just before Lake Tekapo. So it's between the Rangitata River and Lake Tekapo. Um 1980 or 1960? Are you yeah. above the tree line there? Oh definitely. You are in Alpine area, yeah. It it's snow any time of the year there. Awesome. Yeah.
0: And then, what's the longest stints you did? Because you you covered a lot of ground, man. I mean, you did uh, one. I read you like thirty five kilometers a day. Um, that's long days. What what was your average and what was your longest?
1: Uh, average, average, average. I would say yeah, thirty days is a good guess for average. Um, my longest, my longest day is a funny one. My longest day was 85 K's.
0: What? How the hell?
1: <laughs> yeah. How, how did so, that happen? Um, yeah. So bef- between Lake Tekapo and Lake Ohio, it's uh, quite a popular section where a lot of TA hikers, they decide to do as a challenge, a uh, couple of different options one option a lot of people actually cycle that section because there's a it's perfectly flat it's mostly like a gravel road following uh the river canals i don't know if you oh you haven't been there but um yeah so it's pretty easy walk there's no technical section you can do through the night so a lot of people also do through the night because uh lake tecap is one of the dark sky sanctuaries so the okay. skies for like the stars is amazing yeah uh so i'm like yeah i'll just want to do it and i was really i was on that point on the trail i was really i didn't start the trail as a physical challenge but during the trail especially in the beginning of south island going the mountains i just started feeling like super fit and really healthy like feeling good in the mountains like climbing big hills and feeling good about it so i was like i want to see how far can i push? i can push my body i just want to check what, what can it can be done
0: how many hours to do 85 k's
1: yeah and so before that section I also met a, a trail runner andy now which is a friend of mine now and um so he, he ran the whole trade and um and i started doing a few sections running with him obviously much slower because he's been running like for a long time but yeah, yeah i would run a few sections with him and that was good so i ran that day i ran quite a bit So I started in Tekapo at 9pm because I thought, well, if I start with dark skies and the stars and, you know, I get the night part of the hike first, then when I'm really tired, it's going to be sunshine, it's going to be beautiful anyway, so it's going to be easier instead of doing the opposite. So yeah, I started at 9pm from Tekapo and hike out to the night by myself, I was alone. uh, And yeah, the stars were amazing, amazing, amazing. And then I got to Lake Pukaki about 6 a.m. And then twice or about 9 a.m. Had a breakfast and then walked to house So I think, I yeah, I arrived in Lake Ohio about 6 p.m. So 21 hours. Yeah, 21 hours. Were you dead? Uh, yeah, I was obviously very tired. But surprisingly, I wasn't as tired, like i had days on the trail before where at the end of the trail i was more destroyed than that day like i remember i arrived and a friend of mine he was uh, he was on a road trip with his family and he came on a camper van and to lake ohio and here came we i stayed up with him and his parents up to like 9 10 pm and we had a good chat and yeah next day i was still okay and then so i took two rest days after that obviously yeah, yeah. Um, but the first day after the hike i was actually okay but then the second day oh my god my legs were heavy
0: yeah, yeah yeah i find it also like a lot of people will like after a hike they'll text me and be like oh man my legs are so sore today and i'll be like yeah my legs don't hurt but they don't talk to me the day after because always yeah. the second day i'm i'm done yeah, i'm really yeah. feeling and then i feel it quite badly actually it's not like yeah. i'm not this stiff it really hurts um, yeah. i don't know why there's maybe a, a lag in lactic acid build or something yeah. stuff, like that what, what was your shortest day was there like a day <laughs> that you just said screw this i'm i don't want to hike and then quit this that's was a good no
1: question i never thought about it a shortest day I actually don't know. Um, good question. That's I'll have to think about that one. Did did you did
0: you have bad days on the hike? Did you have days where you thought like, oh, I don't want to do this, or was it like mentally other things yeah. that?
1: Yeah. I mean, sometimes the trail really hits you when you don't expect, and it's funny because like most of my I wouldn't say bad days, but days where I'm not in the mood were actually days after I took a longer break from the trail, because there were a few places like um, in Auckland, I stayed for a week when I arrived in Auckland. So I stayed a week just with friends. And um, so the day I came back to the trail after Auckland, oh my God, I didn't want to hike. Like I was walking and I was like not in the mood. My mind was not on the right place. And it was a big day. I walked from Huntley to Hamilton so i think it was like a 40k day and um yeah i was just not on a great great mood so i and that happened again a few times like if i stay for a few days in a town or just resting waiting for the weather the first day after waiting would always be a bit like a uh, strange weird kind of feeling um maybe i hope in this good bad vibes <laughs> i did say yeah i did think about it because we um it's funny because we always going to the mount uh mount Ruapero, um every weekend um before the train with my friends and we always stop in huntley and uh yeah we always everyone makes jokes about huntley which is a bit sad but we always make jokes so i thought oh my god am i getting punished now by <laughs> it was, problem,
0: bro. Got you. but yeah but uh, yeah um So, how much did you do solo
1: uh, compared to... Uh, Not much, really. I mean, the thing with this is um, there are two kinds of solo. There is the solo where you were walking completely solo and then I get to a hut and there will be other people there, but I don't get involved too much. You might say, hey, how was your day? But you don't know those people or maybe you know, but you don't get involved. And then there is the other solo, which is you have people that you know on the hike and you are not super close friends with, but you still kind of hike together for a bike. And when I say hike together, most of the times I'm saying you hike by yourself the whole day, but you know that, okay, that person is behind me, maybe one hour, that other guy is maybe half an hour ahead of me. And then you catch up someone, you have a lunch break. And then, you know, like, but you never like, very few sections on the trail, I was hiking with someone like really literally like next to me, you know. Like, you always, I always like to hike on my own pace. Okay. Um, so, but in terms of like, so, like, just to give people an idea, there were only two huts that I stayed, or maybe two huts and one campsite where I stayed by myself on the trail, okay. completely by myself. So, I think some people, if people, considering the trail and they think about solitude definitely you are only fully solitude in the trail if you want to you're never like you're never yeah like the both all the times that i went solo it's because i wanted to because either my friends were they could i could have waited with them, and i had people that i could be hiking with you know um uh,
0: you didn't take a tent you went from huts yeah and- i
1: did i did i did take a tent the whole train yeah
0: okay and how much did you sleep in huts and how much did you sleep in the tent
1: north island mostly camping i would say in the north islands um, maybe 70 percent of the nights were in the tent and then in the south island mostly huts yeah
0: okay and and uh, do you feel huts were good quality Are you happy with what you saw or were coming
1: <laughs> well the thing is for a ta walker after you hike the whole trail your standard of like a good quality goes down quite a bit you know so i think a lot of the huts there now i find out oh, this is an amazing good quality hut most people that only walk like great walks and like fancy huts they'll say, "Oh man this hut is shit. but because we do stay in some pretty um yeah pretty yeah, some gnarly hut. places
0: so so just yeah. back to zero waste um w- what would you put nuts and stuff in would it just be a ziploc bag that you'd reuse or did you have some special like thick bags or what did
1: you use yeah i had a special thick bag uh excuse me um i had a special uh it was a plastic. it's still made of plastic but it's quite thick so i use the same bags for the whole trail it's a company kai kai carrier so they're from hamilton and they make these bags um just yeah so i just bought a few of them and so I always put the food there. And it's a, it's essentially a Ziploc bag, like a plastic, those you find in supermarkets, but with a more resistant like thick plastic.
0: Yeah. yeah. And now how did this influence like y- y- the idea you have of life? Uh, I'm not talking about future hikes, I'm talking about the way you stay, the way you store food um mm, James, huge, you because you, you, you were you were very frugal beforehand or, or do you think you're going to be different now
1: very different yeah um because the zero waste part was something that actually came quite last minute on the hike i think like two weeks before i spoke with a friend and she suggested me why don't you try to hike zero waste or blah blah, blah and i looked at it i'm like okay cool that would be another challenge and as if walking the country was not a challenge enough i decided to do it zero waste um so but yeah uh, like i still try to live a zero waste lifestyle so like all my spices are in glass containers or so i don't buy any of those yeah i stopped buying a lot of things in plastic i definitely don't buy anymore um i refill my peanut butter on like Bing or shops that you can refill your own peanut butter And yeah, a lot of the things that, yeah, I just try to leave um, flour and seeds and nuts and lentils, all those things I all buy in bulk shops. And you'll be surprised to see how much money you can actually save because when people think in zero waste, they obviously think on the fancy shops that are in general much more expensive, but if you do a bit of research you'll find like especially with like asia and Indian shops um all over the country they're really cheap and good quality stuff so yeah i just yeah you go there you fill up a bag and it's like 20 dollars, and you're like oh my god this is a lot of food
0: um yeah i think people are so used to convenience yeah they they don't work in those shops i mean um because i work in in agriculture and in in fresh uh fresh produce uh the price variants are huge, man, for the same product. Oh, like you'll amazing. go to a store, um, and it will just be displayed really nicely, but the st- same, the same orange from the same farm bought at the same place. Yeah. Um, is is like very, very cheaper at another place. And it's just, yeah. I mean, we're used to convenience. So we just walk into the pack and save. Yeah. The countdown and that's the easiest, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of parking space easy to walk in everything is yeah it's just us yeah they just really well set up for us to you know to deal with the most convenient ways so um i think um with the zero waste and environment conversation is about how much are we willing to give up our convenience to do something that's better for the planet you know like and how much actually yeah like do we actually have time to keep playing the convenience game Or is it really time for us to look at something bigger, looking at the bigger picture? Like how much can I make an impact in the world by doing it, making a different choice? So yeah, it's just, and it's tricky. It's tricky because sometimes, yeah, you were in a rush. You just want to get it done and...
0: and Get whatever's convenient. Um, You you spoke to kids at one school at a stage. Yeah. Yeah. I think primary school um did you talk to them about this like zero waste and stuff yeah and how did they receive it
1: like what was that that was yeah that was actually the main reason because the school is part of uh enviro schools which is a project um, by the new zealand governments which they i don't know if it's government or if it's a charity but i'm um, uh, So they've got a few schools that are doing this environment program where they teach kids about zero waste, composting, save water, just basic things that kids can get into like from a younger age. So they are, yeah, they were all into the plastic stuff. They asked me a lot of questions about plastic and it, yeah, it was really cool. Like, did you pick up rubbish from the track and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it was, um, it was really cool actually. And I probably, I probably should do more of that and try to do more of that. But I was... For that one, I didn't organize someone, a teacher that was, um, she followed me, she was following me on Instagram. And she, yeah, she just contacted me and invited me, filed Becky to come, which was really cool.
0: That's awesome, man. Uh, Instagram, if you can actually be a semi powerful tool, um, I follow a lot of people on Instagram, a lot of guys I've got lined up or spoke to for the podcast, people I meet on Instagram. And, yeah. uh, you know, people doing cool stuff and uh it's so easy like you can ignore the message if you don't want to but you know if you're so inclined you can say yes and then maybe yeah. influence those those kids um yeah so so what's because you when we just started communicating about talking on the podcast you said you had another big hike planned, but you got a job now like um have you got have you got in your mind like maybe work a year or two and then do something huge what's what's your thought on that?
1: Oh definitely man definitely once you do it once, yeah, you get the bug and you just um i uh, i haven't i don't know yet what I'm gonna do next, but I'm definitely gonna be working towards saving money and going on another big adventure that's uh, like that's for sure if if,
0: uh, if flights and things like that don't open open up soon what would you do in new zealand would you just do a different trail or would you oh,
1: probably yeah i probably wouldn't be able to do anything this season anyway so i'll be definitely looking at next season at least if not the following one um but um yeah this coming summer there are there's so much things that i want to do in new zealand that um and i probably will have maybe two or three weeks so yeah maybe go up to uh, fjordland or some of the glaciers and ju- just explore some remote places up uh, in the alps for sure yeah
0: so you're working with quite a quite a cool uh, institution now just tell me a bit about that it's a, a food bank
1: yeah it's a food bank so what we do um It's a food rescue for the bank. It's a movement started, I don't know when, but it's, it's all across the globe now. And uh, those organizations, what they do is they rescue food from big supermarket chains. And in some cases, even for food producers, food that would be going to waste, um, maybe because it's not looking that nice, or it's too close to the spider date, or they're just not being able to sell. So they'll throw that on the rubbish. Um what we do is we go there, we rescue that food, we bring it back, we check the quiet, we check if it's all good, if it's eatable, if it's with food safety uh, standards. We pack, we distribute to ch- distribute to charities um That's with cool. like people in need. So it's really cool, man. Like you would be shocked, like I was shocked the first day that I went there. And I just went there the first day to volunteer.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was shocked to see, like, we can't believe this was going to waste. Like, I think people have a very different mentality of what would be food waste. They think it's like rotting food, and like, but it's actually not. It's like perfect quality food.
0: Uh, I've seen two places um, like that, and, and it, it really shocked me. I was, um, when I was still living in South Africa, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. did a trip to the Netherlands uh, uh, for yeah. work. And we visited, uh, I forget the name now. I think it was Nason was the place's name. What they basically did is they saw all these supermarkets throw away uh, breads and uh, maybe wraps or pitas. You know, people pick up a a wrap and they want it to look toasted. If it doesn't look toasted enough, no one buys that wrap. There's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't get picked up. And when they restocked it, it just stays. And so these guys started taking all the breads All the sweets ice cream cones Mm. like all the grain based products and they um, got all the chocolates and all the sweets and when we visited them it was a Mm. factory and if i say factory like a massive factory and Mm. they were making um uh uh, animal feed because their argument was you shouldn't use land that you can produce food on to plant feed for animals and they uh developed a machine to take the plastic packaging off uh, with 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 uh, and with sieves and wind they blow the packaging into like this thing and only the the bread and stuff would stay over and we stood there man and we were like eating like it was this raw product we were like eating taking yeah. waffles and wraps like they were like bite you must taste all this stuff was super fresh but yeah. just because of the look the consumer didn't want it and they developed recipes to like separate it into certain contents so that they've got a, a solid animal yeah. feed thing. And a while back I was at a, a, a kiwi farm and oh. these guys ex, export mostly. Right. Yeah. So the stuff that's not good enough for export, the stuff that you and me think are, is great quality. It just yeah maybe got a small mark. Dude, it goes in bins. If I say yeah, bins, like, uh, massive massive bins and they just don't make profit and it just gets chucked away and i just stood there thinking like you know this is the type of stuff i buy we don't even see that great quality because that goes to europe right yeah Stuff i buy in the supermarket with the exporting guys
1: boom gone
0: it gets it it gets thrown away And, and that that's a big shock for me yeah
1: yeah yeah, it's um estimated that one third of the food produced in New Zealand or in the world, but in countries like development countries that figure is pretty high, could be even higher than one third, never make it to like consumers. It's just like and I think most of it, it's actually thrown out on the producing um part, you know. Yeah. We yeah. get we get like containers like pallets, uh not containers, pallets of potatoes and onions. Um yeah every like day and i'm saying like full pallets i don't know how much they weigh, but it's like huge and just because the potatoes don't look perfect you know they look maybe they had like you say like they had a scratch and something or they have different sizes and that's it so like we get that and we send to people and you know it's perfectly good quality food there's nothing wrong with it
0: yeah that's awesome and i think also there's a perception amongst many people that there's not a lot of poverty in new zealand but it's not the case and um yeah. i think coming from brazil and me from south africa i mean there you in both countries you're faced with a lot of poverty all the time yeah. It's, yeah. it's a very visual thing it's not like uh like kind of hidden it's in your face all the time yeah um uh, yeah but i don't know what the answer is to that but i'm gonna leave that there i'm gonna i want to ask you another serious question um mm. if if i'm on a three four five day hike I really struggled just adapting the first or two days, like mentally, like I feel mm. <laughs> pointless to work. I just wanna go hike again where things are basic and where I don't care if I shower or if I, you know, y- you get what I'm saying. Like yeah. biggest shock to your system was it to, to stop walking. Obviously, you, you know, you're gonna walk again, but to to have that, all those kilometers behind you and to have to fit into in inverted commas normal life again was that a mm. massive massive shock?
1: Yeah, it's be it still is like I I was joking the other day with someone we were talking about like how people ask about oh I think it was someone saying like someone asked on a TA group uh, what things did you do. Um, to prepare for the trade, and someone commented, uh, commented like, "Don't worry about that. Uh, the real question is what do you, what do you do to prepare to finish the trade, because that's actually." Um, and I I spoke with many of my uh, TA hikers that finished, and everyone is kind of like, most people in a similar situation. I guess for me it was especially hard because when I resigned my job, I didn't have a I didn't make a plan for after the trade. Yeah, yeah um i just i knew i wanted to shift my career to something else um so finishing the trail in the middle of the pandemic where jobs are not that easy anymore and i actually don't know where and i had this multiple like a lot of roads ahead of me that i could follow i could follow like uh, hiking I could follow, try to study, I could follow, try to get jobs in different areas. So it was really hard for me to pick something. And also like, as you say, um, yeah, things on the trail on a hike are just so much simpler and you're just much like content with basic things. But once you're back to a normal life, like you start noticing those small things that you like, you wouldn't like give like, you would not care at all and you're like now i'm caring about this i'm like what what the hell like mm-hmm. um so yeah definitely feeling that void i would say of like that emptiness that it's left after the trail uh it is the trickiest thing so my recommendation it's for anyone would be like okay during the trail you maybe start thinking of something you're gonna do straight after the trail or because I, I don't know there's nothing really to prepare you for that um, yeah. and um, and I'm still feeling it you know I'm still not, I'm still sleeping on my sleeping bag
0: yeah, yeah I heard you say earlier it's just my bed
1: sleeping bag I'm like what <laughs> yeah like it's just the simplicity of it it's just like why would I want to like have bed sheets and then you have to change then you have to wash them. no I'm just my sleeping bag you know twice three times a week I put it on the sun sometimes I wash and it, that's it like yeah, so, yeah
0: um uh but you're i mean how did you end up staying in the south island did you then get this job and decide to stay or or did you realize beforehand you want to stay on the south island and not on the north island
1: yeah i did apply for a few jobs in auckland but i always wanted to come to the south island so um i went when i finished the trail i went back to the north island i stayed a few weeks with my friends in auckland in tauranga and then when they announced the lockdown in auckland the second lockdown i just thought i need to get out of here i can't i can't afford to stay here so i just yeah i left on that wednesday morning where everyone everything was going crazy i just left um and then i came to christchurch and I was actually applying for quite a few jobs in Wanaka, Queenstown, and then staying here with a friend in Christchurch. I went to volunteer in this place and they had a the job there. I'm like, oh man, yeah, that's it, that's me. I'm I kind of started feeling a little bit like unsettled, like at the same time, um at the same time, I liked that thing of you are always moving on the hike, but on a real life, I started feeling I wanted to have a place where I could actually start on a, a routine of like you know fitness, food. For me, is really important to be able to cook my own food. So yeah, moving houses, friends, staying with friends, all that mess, I was like a bit over it. So when they offered me this job here, I'm like, oh man, you know what? I have a place here. I'm staying with a friend, and that's it. I'm just gonna get it and. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, When did lockdown hit you? Where were you when lockdown hit? How many?
1: Yeah. So I I arrived in Wanaka on the day that they announced the lockdown. Okay. So I arrived in Wanaka, they announced the lockdown. There were a couple of options for me. Um, And then my friend here in Christchurch, he offered me to come and stay. He had a house here uh, with his girlfriend and i'm like i think that's yeah between the options i had that was definitely the best so we end up hiring i end up hiring a car in you know, in Queenstown. i hitch hitch hike to Queenstown, pick up another few ta hikers that were going all the way to nelson and then we just drove to Christchurch, and then they continued driving to nelson next day
0: and then after lockdown you just hit the road immediately
1: I hit the tray yeah straight back in and that was a different experience because um well i started the trail was it 24 23rd of march i think the lockdown started so it's still like march is actually pretty warm and good weather um I, it was pretty hot days i'm um, on the trail but two months um may june june is winter um yeah came back to the trail and um luckily had good weather didn't have any snow for the beginning uh between Wanaka and Queenstown but cold really cold cuz yeah. june was really cold um like we had those like bluebird, crispy days yeah. uh but there is yeah it's just freezing so wake up in the morning and the the thing that's um the cold i i had um another sleeping bag a winter sleeping bag i carried more layers so i carried like true thermals i carried an extra pair of socks um and then i got my winter uh synthetic jacket which is like the jacket i use for mountaineering um so i had all of that uh but also what makes a big difference is the amount of daylight hours because when you're hiking summer it's great you start like 5am it's already getting daylight you wake up six maybe seven eight you are in the trade the latest you know and then i would always be a late finisher so i would always make the most during the day on the trail and maybe finish by seven eight p.m uh, which is still daylight in summer but then in winter uh, i remember on the mototapo track waking up like 7 30 and it's still pitch black, dark. So you don't even, and cold, freezing cold, and you don't even want to leave your sleeping bag. So there were days I would be like, okay, eight o'clock I will leave my sleeping bag, cook breakfast and start hiking like 8.30, nine o'clock. And it would be like getting light. Uh, and at the same time, you only have that window between nine until four to hike and i mean you could maybe hike until five but then it gets really cold as well and you want to be like especially if you're camping i camped what maybe a few nights after lockdown and or even stay in a hut you want to be like have done your dinner and be ready to be in a sleeping bag by seven because it just gets really cold
0: um what date did you
1: finish i finished on the 14th of july i think no 14th of june that's a long yeah.
0: section in winter hiking, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah and and this we actually finished uh, when we finished, um the day that we finished was also a long day. We did a double day, so we did like sixty K on a day, and uh, it was the coldest day uh, of the year uh, up to that day. It was freezing cold, yeah
0: um do you, in those last sections on the South island, do you go into to Alpine or, or is it down in uh-huh. valleys? So are you up in the map based about possible snowstorms or, or, or are you Yeah.
1: Up? So between Wanaka and Queenstown, there was a chance because you go quite high up. You go like 1500 meters on the Mototapo track. And yeah, if there were any storm coming, there would definitely be snow on the, the tops. But luckily I didn't have any. And then we hiked the Greenstone Capos track, which there is a pass, which is about one thousand and hundred, so yeah, maybe you'd get some snow there, but that would be fine. Um, And then the Takachimu forest, so we don't get any like high alpine passing um, on the southland, but on the Takachimu forest, which is the sec, well, the next forest after Tiana, we did get lots of snow. Mm-hmm. um on the second day so we woke up and everything was white and it was beautiful but cold freezing cold and yeah we climbed up this forest and we crossed this little pass which is not very high maybe 700 800 meters high but yeah we had maybe ankle ankle deep snow um and yeah like fresh powder good snow and um, cold very cold
0: <laughs> and uh, Did you have any challenges, or you were luckily used to alpine stuff
1: because of all the mountain? Well, that day was it. No, the day before, which we also had some snow, but it was like snow and rainy, and there was one section of the trail on the Takachimu Forest that you walk maybe for like three or four k on a I'd say like a bog, like you walk like next to a stream, but it's very boggy and wet, so it was a mix of water from the bog is no kind of melted and becoming so it's just that like it's not only water but it's also not only snow it's just that mix that makes it really cold so i remember like i couldn't feel my feet and that day was definitely one of the hardest in terms of like my feet is just freezing 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 still, yeah. still
0: trial runners
1: trail runners yeah yeah because okay. even if you were on boats you'd get water inside and it would be even worse so
0: um i've got three or four more questions uh okay. what is the best day on the trail for you
1: the base day best oh the best day on the trail oh i i wouldn't be able to pick one seriously mm. one day on the trail that i could pick there's a few um i really enjoyed the day that i climbed up to uh Stag Cedo, uh because it was just amazing scenery and uh, it was quite emotional for me. It was, uh, I always took this the tray on a really daily basis. So when people ask me, when are you going to finish? Or uh, how long you still have? I always, I never, I wasn't able to get the an answer because for me it was like, I don't know if I'll be able to finish, you know? I know that I can walk today, tomorrow, but I don't know, it's a big challenge. I can get injured, something happened and it did happen like Corona but when I went when I was in Stag Sedo, and I think we still had like maybe 400, five, no, 600 kilometers to go, but Stag shadow is the highest point on the trail. And after, and it's also like the end of really hard sections, even though you still have the Mototapo track. Um, so all the Stag Saddle was the first time that I thought, well, I'm actually think I'm gonna do it. I think I actually gonna make it to the end. So that was quite cool and um, yeah uh, a few days on the ridge. one day on the ritual ranges where we pushed really hard and it was amazing weather and yeah we just kept pushing feeling really great and and then we finished the day It was amazing sunset amazing sunset beautiful colors in the sky that was also a great day and yeah every day was actually great
0: <laughs> uh did you carry a like a personal locator beacon or a garmin in reach for emergencies or not
1: uh plb yeah personal locator beacon okay. definitely yeah.
0: yeah yeah okay cool cool stuff and then um what what's your what are you doing this weekend man are you hitting the mountains cuz you're you're <laughs> in mountain freaking country now dude are i you
1: am know? yes yeah. Oh wow. yeah. That's the plan actually. So as soon as we hang up from this car, I'm probably going to make, what's the hiking plan for the weekend? Cause I just arranged with one of my Tiararoa, uh friends. Uh, we hiked a lot of sections together and uh, she's going to come for this, uh, this weekend to crush us. And yeah, we're going to go for a mission. So I actually have to pick a hike.
0: That's awesome. So yeah. last question then advice for people who want to do this. Um, yeah that's a such an open question like how do you plan it what, what what would you do
1: just start planning or oh man i think yeah, just do it <laughs> like a lot of uh the things uh, people see on the ta and that's one of a device to make people's life easier is like they well maybe if you come from overseas but even if you come from this they think that you have to be fully ready on day one of the hike and all your gear and everything and it's actually not like i change my gear like you you just have to be ready to start to hike one day and that's it. Or maybe to hike four days because you hike 90 mile beach, you get to a hipada, everything changes, you know, people change their gear. They're like, Oh, this is not working for me. This is too heavy. I'm just going to post stuff to someone and, and you can buy gear and you can replace. So yeah, just, you know go with what you have you have a backpack just go with it uh if along the trail you feel like okay maybe i want to replace my backpack like i know at least two people that replace their backpacks during the trail. i know people that change their pants i know people that um, change their shoes and clothes and so yeah you just can don't worry too much about gear to be honest obviously plan in a way that you have a budget for like buying i would say being light is really important and don't overestimate even though like even me and people that like some people say oh no i'm really fit i always strengthen if i have a pack, i'll be fine yes you will but once you have a lighter pack it's just gonna be more enjoyable you know yeah Yeah.
0: the speed the speed one you foster
1: and they yeah so much ground for me, I felt like, oh, man, like being faster makes you like just enjoy the trail so much more. Like, you know, there are a lot of sections that I would see people with like heavy packs struggling and like not enjoy. And I'll just be cruising. I'll be like, man, this is, I'm loving it. Um, and I wasn't even like a light, ultra light people person, you know, like there were people like with proper ultra light gear. But yeah, definitely going light. It's uh, It's a way to go.
0: I think that's a good note to end it on man go live yeah i'm looking forward to seeing more stuff that you're doing hopefully 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 either you're gonna join us in february when we're up on mueller if not hopefully somewhere i can join you on a day or something it would be yeah man come Come and, to
1: Christchurch and we go for a mission. Yeah. yeah, oh.
0: yeah. And I love what you do, man. It's, it's inspirational. I think it's super cool. Your choices, your lifestyle choices are super cool. The hikes you do oh. and the work you do is really cool. So, yeah, man, respect for that. And, uh, Thanks, brother. I I'll see you Thanks. not in a city. Yeah. But, uh, in the mountains. Mountain on a mountain somewhere.
1: Cool, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. And uh, oh. come down and we go for a mission soon. Sweet. Cheers. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks.